Amen. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open those to John chapter 8. It is good to see you guys this morning as we continue to work through the I Am statements of Jesus. I listened to Jared's sermon last Sunday. It was really, really well done. Very thorough and just clear as to what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life. For us today, we're looking at what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. We are. Uh, we have just wrapped up a week where we had uh, really multiple groups of Grace Bible people in different places. We, we sent uh, kids to a kid camp. We sent youth to a youth camp, and we sent. Or we did not send, but many of our ladies were in Indianapolis for uh, a women's conference. And uh, these are all a little bit different in, I mean, camp's fun. And it's the intent of any summer camp is fun. And the intent of any summer camp is uh, for your kid to... To learn more about Jesus. So hopefully as we talk to our kids, we've talked to them already. If they have questions about who Jesus is, then we want moms and dads to come to myself and Jared and our elders. And we'll walk through with kids and help moms and dads to disciple kids better. But camp is this super fun time that involves things that throw us off. When my wife was going through the preparation list, she was shocked because she read out loud... Wait, it says bedtime is 10.30. That's really, really late. I said, you don't get to go with them and put them in bed at 7 o'clock like we do at the house. It's, we make them read for a long time. So uh, at, at kid camp in particular, you'll smell things you don't smell at other camps, good and bad. Like I've done youth camps for a long time. I've never, ever smelled bug spray or suntan lotion. But if you're at a children's camp, all of those mamas have sent them with SPF 50 and basically like primer. They're going to cover their children in primer so they don't get uh, burnt. Uh, kid camp and youth camp both involve really late nights. Like I said earlier, and there's, those usually involve fun activities. There are also luau's that are there. And those are celebratory things. You want your kid to celebrate. And the goal is for them to see that Jesus is worthy of our celebration. For them to lift their hands to the Lord. This idea of a party. When we get to John chapter 8, we are on the other side of a Bible party. It's called the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was a celebration of the Jewish people where they uh, considered who God is and how God worked. And during this Feast of the Tabernacles, there was one very specific instance called the Illumination of the Temple. There were four large golden oil-fed lamps that were in the portion of the tabernacle called the, the, the court of women because it was the court where women were. And as they lit these, they would, 75 feet high from what most historians believe, they would light them. The priests and the, the Jewish leaders would dance around these while they played instruments and they drank wine, which let's just be real, that's a recipe for disaster in Texas, but it works for these Jewish people. And as they would celebrate this, they're thinking to not what's taking place in that moment, but how God had provided for them in the past. Because the Feast of Tabernacles, at the point where they have the illumination of the temple... 
They show these lights because they're thinking back to when God delivered the Jewish people in the Exodus. And how at night they would follow a pillar of fire. And that pillar of fire was cloaked during the day with a cloud. But at night when everything was dark, they were they had something that they could follow. Jesus has just wrapped up a portion of time at the Feast of Tabernacles. Depending upon who you're reading, lets us know how to understand John 8, 1 through 11 with the woman caught in adultery. But we are still, regardless of how you take that, in verse 12, we are in close proximity to what has happened at the festival, uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles with the illumination of the temple. As the Jewish people celebrated how God had delivered them, how God had provided for them, how God had sent them out. And Jesus looks and spoke to those who were listening and says, I, I am the light of the world. Everything that you see that we as a people celebrate when we light those candles is about me. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus said, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. I'd love to say that about myself sometimes. But you don't know where I come from and you don't know where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And I, if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is. if it is not... It is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself. And the Father who sent me testifies about me. And then they asked him, where is your father? You know neither me nor my father, Jesus said. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. The first thing that we see as we look at this text is the claim. The claim of Jesus in verse 12. Now, considering this passage, we want to keep in mind something that we want to always use as a backdrop for our understanding of any time we look through the Gospel of John. What we see and what we hear from the Gospel of John, according to chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you may have life in His name. We always think through that when we read through Jesus working miracles, Jesus uh, telling people as to who He is. And here in this passage, Jesus is saying to us that He is this light of the world that pierces and shatters darkness. Let's just be honest. We know there are honestly three types of pain. There is minor pain. There is major pain. 
And there is, I stepped on my child's Lego while walking through the house in the dark pain. And when we experience this pain, it makes us want to cast light and find out what it is that has caused this. Jesus looks at the nation of Israel, a nation that consistently would be drawn towards darkness. And in shedding light, he's pointing out, these are the reasons that there is pain for you. There's misdirection. There's misunderstanding. There needs to be course correction. Because when I look at you as a nation, the things that are causing you pain, sadly, are those who lead you religiously. So he has these men who are the spiritual leaders, if you will. And when he says that he's the light of the world, shedding light in dark places, it's them that stands out the most. Jesus is the light of the world. There are numerous passages that tell us that God is light. And that's why any Hebrew uh, theologian, if you will, may have a problem with me if I said I was the light of the world or if Jesus said that he was the light of the world. If you're a note taker, and some of you are, Exodus chapter 13, the glory of the presence of God in the cloud led the people to the promised land. That's light. Light also protected them from those who would destroy them. We see that in Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 through 25. The Israelites in in Psalm 27 were trained to sing this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. When they would consider the light of the Lord, they would look at Psalm 119 where it says, The Word of God and the law of God is a light to guide the path of those who cherish instruction. God's light, according to Ezekiel, is shed abroad in Revelation. And the light of Israel is salvation. Light is Yahweh in action according to Psalm chapter 44. Israel tells us, Isaiah rather, tells us that the servant of the Lord was appointed as a light to the Gentiles that he might bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. The coming, the end time would be a time when the Lord himself will be the light for his people. Uh, Isaiah also tells us about that in chapter 60. In the book of Zechariah, I almost said three different words that start with a Z that are not Bible words. In Zechariah... We see a foreshadowing of what Jesus does in chapter 7 and chapter 8 at the Feast of Tabernacles. So we hear these phrases, and if you're a Jewish person who's ever heard anything about the Old Testament, and you have any recollection whatsoever as to what Scripture has always taught about God, the light-bringing God, for a man to say this is startling. Because here's what's happening You have Jesus who's saying, It was I who led you. It it was me who protected you. This word of God that you cherish, it's not worthy of cherishing apart from me. You have this man standing in front of them who says, I am Yahweh in action. When Isaiah says that the Lord is the light in the midst of the people, Isaiah was talking about me. When Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, he's a wee little man, has nothing to do with what I'm saying. When Zechariah promised this light, 
He was promising me the benefits and the comforts of the cloud come from me. That's startling. Imagine if a family member of yours opened the Bible that you seem to cherish so much and told you they were Jesus. Told you they were the Messiah sent to save the world. As you would imagine... This provides a large amount of conflict for these men. Again, the claim of Jesus, verse 12, and verse 13, we pick up and we see the conflict with the Pharisees. You are testifying about yourself. And your testimony is not valid. Which is clear. uh, For the Jewish people... The idea of a testimony and the way that their laws broke down, that if if you were to make a claim, there had to be someone to substantiate your claim. But in all of this, they're, they're missing exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, yes, I give you a word about myself, but the word that I give you about myself is an eternal word because I am God the Son. I am God's illumination because all testimonies are for the purpose of us seeing and hearing God and you're seeing and hearing God because and there is no testimony about God that is truer than the testimony that I give you. These Pharisees are using their rules and their rituals and the regulations to do their very best to turn the attention away from Jesus so that what is heard about him and from him is not taken seriously. He's saying that he's God's provided, promised deliverer. And they are making it about a court case. The whole Old Testament has promised these people a Messiah. And everything that these men had ever done, these Pharisees, it was so that they would be able to acknowledge and see the Messiah. They were told that the Messiah would do great things and that they w- and he would do signs that would go alongside of those great things. And up to this point in John 6, there is a story as to this Jesus feeding 20,000 people that they have heard over and over. The signs about Jesus, the signs about the Messiah, point them towards Jesus. But they don't want to see Jesus. And because they don't want to see Jesus, the effect of knowing Jesus and acknowledging Jesus is lost on them. So we're Americans. We're Texans first and then we're Americans. 
That's how it works here, I, don't, I think. Uh, it, it's unique. I'm still figuring this whole place out. But with that, we have words that are American words. Now, we come from, from another nation. Uh, we cared a lot more about their wedding than we should have. But we have British ties. There are some words that British people use that we use as well, but they have different meanings. And I think you know some of those. The primary one that comes to my mind is the word chip. Because if you were to look at fish and chips in Britain, we're, we're talking what we call a French fry. It is a fried piece of potato. So, so just go here with me. Imagine that you're a British person visiting the United States of America and you order a burger and, and chips. Thinking that you're going to get French fries. And they decide to bring you the bag of chips. How angry are you when that... Just at restaurants in general. If a restaurant tells me they don't have French fries, I leave. I miss French fries. I gave them up for Lent, it feels like. So we... Other words that they use. They, the, British people, when they talk about a flashlight, they don't use the term flashlight. They use a different word. They use the term Torch. So we know what a torch is. It's, it's fire on the end of a stick. So those are heard differently. So here's one of my favorites. When British people use... They don't use the term pacifier. There's another word that they use for pacifier. I learned all of this from Google. Everything's true on Google. They use the term... Dummy. Now imagine that I am in Britain. I've got my family there with me. And there's a British family there that's much smaller than all of those people that live in my house. And the, the, the British mother is holding a baby and, and the baby is crying. We've been talking the whole time about parenting and I'm like, yeah, we don't use this. And we're talking about these different words. And I let them know, yeah, we don't say dummy. We don't say dummy. But she got this baby that won't stop crying, and I'm not really into babies that don't stop crying. I like for I like for them to not cry. So while they're crying, I, I tell Hope, "Hey, I'm going to go get in a car and drive on the wrong side of the road, and I'm going to go buy this lady a dummy." And, and I come, I buy, I'm going to buy her a pacifier. And when I get back with the pacifier, I look at this mother, and as this baby cries, and as this baby, as this baby does what babies do that needs to be soothed. I look at her and I say to her, here is your dummy. But she doesn't want to take the dummy. She doesn't want to take the dummy because I had told her earlier in the day I don't use the word. The answer to her problem is right there. But she does not want to take the answer because of a situation of semantics. When you look at this text in John chapter 8, you have Jesus presenting himself as God's light of the world. As the one who has been promised forever on top of forever. As the one who would meet these people and give them guidance. And the Jewish people, because... 
it's not exactly the way that they understand it. Because he has not presented himself in the way that they thought he should present himself. They refuse to accept that. Even though the answer to their problem is right there. Moms and dads, I think we deal with this a lot. Sad stories of moms and dads who have sons and daughters who are making terrible life decisions. And the mom and dad have already walked along a path and they've already seen the struggles that their kid's going to go through. They give really clear answers as to how to help their child. But they keep watching as their child does not want to take the help that is obviously there. That's where Jesus is with these men. Presenting obvious reflections on who he is. And presenting himself completely as the light that has been promised from God for forever. But very much like your child who will not listen. They want nothing to do with him. Jesus in this text is dealing with people who don't want to have anything to do with light because they think it should be a different color. Even if I test 14, if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from and you don't know where I'm going. You judge by human standards. In the English standard that we use in here regularly, you judge according to the flesh. Do you see what Jesus is saying to the religious leaders of Judaism? To the spiritual gurus of this nation. You don't have a spiritual life. To not see Jesus for who he is is to have is to be void of a spiritual life we'll love that how often do we have conversations with people that we love that tell us about their relationship with Jesus and we're in the south everyone has a relationship with Jesus And when you begin to have these conversations about this person's relationship with Jesus, it becomes very clear that they don't care about what Jesus cares about. They don't love what Jesus loves. That they don't want anything to do with what Jesus would have them to do. People claiming to be spiritual who, because of culture, are using Jesus as a 
the name as a prop of the flesh. Their grasp of who God is is a human idea. You don't have a spiritual life, Jesus says. Even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. Jesus, His unity with the Father throughout. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And then Jesus breaks it down for them. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. I do these things because I am from the Father as God the Son. And they said to him, where is your Father? Very interesting question. And it depends on who you're, you're reading. Theologian that I love points out that there is the possibility that the Jewish people are alluding to Jesus' family lineage. That there may be questions as to his paternal family because of the way that his age lined up. And that there is belief that what we see in John chapter 8 elevates that thought. Because Jesus was compassionate to a woman caught in adultery. They are questioning Jesus, this theologian says. Because of his compassion. And Jesus stops them and says, You neither know me, nor do you know my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father as well. And then the conversation stops. No, what he's doing doesn't stop. In John chapter 9, Jesus takes this idea of the light of the world, this very large idea, this grand idea, and he does what he did with Jared last week when Jared was preaching. Jesus takes a concept, but there's a reality that ties itself to it. Jesus, last week in Jared's sermon, he fed these people and then he says he's the bread of life. Jesus in John 8 says he's the light of the world and is about to go to a man born blind and make it possible for him to see. But what we'd see in the way that they deal with Jesus in verse 20. There is no plan that is undoing God's plan. There's a constant that we see. Verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because why? It wasn't time for him to be arrested. That's another running theme through John's gospel. There's a reason that you would see that Jesus may be stopped or questioned. But his time has not yet come. God's plan is for Jesus, the light of the world, to be held up and crucified so that this faith that the Christians hold so dear spreads to those from across the globe. Jesus held up high on a torture stake, if you will. 
takes place so that this Jewish faith is split wide open so that those from everywhere may know that the light of the world extends beyond a very small section of the world to every corner of the earth. We see whispers and hints of Jesus. But John's going to write in Revelation 22 eventually. In Revelation 22, he's going to take some of these ideas of Jesus as the Lamb of God and Jesus as the light of the world. And he's going to articulate them in his vision. And here's what he's going to say to us. Then the angel, of the Lord, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord the God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. When we read through the Gospel of John, Jesus is simultaneously saying who He is and foreshadowing in the fullness of what we want to be. So as we look at these Gospels, if we look at this Gospel and we consider Jesus as the light of the world, I would hope that for you that He's the light of your life. Because apart from Him, there is no spiritual hope for you or for me. You bow your heads with me this morning. Jesus, we thank You for today. I thank You for these people. I thank you for how you teach us. Lord God, as we have looked at your word today, I do believe that there are some of us who need to respond to this claim of Jesus. The light of the world, who sheds sheds light into darkness. And God, also in this space, I would think there are some who've never placed any faith in you who consider themselves spiritual but apart from you cannot be Jesus I pray that you will light up dark places in their hearts God, I I pray for us as a faith family that we'll take what you say to us about you being the light of the world and we'll realize that we are people who carry the light. So we're going to sing to you and I pray that we will sing that we will sing in the light that you've shown on us. We ask this in Jesus' name.